0: tuning in to the World XP podcast. If you're enjoying the content, please remember to drop a sub, drop a like, and leave your thoughts down below in the comments. With that, we will see you guys in the podcast. Chad, welcome to the World XP podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on. Um, for those listening, we just finished an episode of the Championship Mindset podcast on Chad's website. Uh, the link will, to that will be down in the description. Um, if you're enjoying the content, like, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. Um, But yeah, Chad, welcome.
1: Eric, thank you so much for having me. Excited to uh, speak with you again. I know we've had some great conversations, so no doubt this will be another one.
0: Absolutely. So since you get to ask everyone this, what's a championship mindset mean to you?
1: Ah, somebody put the question back to me. That's a great way. Yes, of course. So uh, first of all, the reason, and, and thank you so much for having me, the, the, the reason I even have a company called Championship Mindset is really that I believe that champions act and behave like champions long before they ever become champions. And so really what I was after when I created the Championship Mindset formula is what's the DNA behind those champions? Because we know everyone wants to win championships. It's kind of a given. But what's it gonna take? It's doing the little things that get put us in an opportunity or give us opportunities to win those champions.
0: You broke up a little bit there.
1: Hard work. What happened?
0: I don't know. We never edited this, so we'll see. We'll hear all the hiccups. What's that? So we never edit this, so we'll hear we'll we'll hear all the hiccups. So it's all good.
1: Yeah, I don't know what happened there, but I'm glad we're back. So uh, going back to the formula, championship mindset formula. The top part of it, it's talent, hard work, attitude, mental toughness, teamwork, and passion. And then what we do is we divide that by one. It's one for soccer. It would be one season at a time. It's one game at a time. One practice. Uh, one play one person, one player at a time. So it's really this championship mindset in everything that we do, not just in the field of play, but in our relationships, uh, in the way that we do our employment and work, all areas of our life, this idea of a championship mindset.
0: Yeah. So when you say it, it all makes sense, but you had to come up with that. And so like, for me, when I'm, I'm thinking of like, you can, for those that have been in athletics for a while, you can kind of look at a team and be like, they have it or they don't have it. But to actually put it into a formula or words, like that's a lot. So how did you manage to do that? Because I would not know where to start, to be honest.
1: Well, you know, I was fortunate. I was working with a lot of teams. We, I'm a master facilitator with uh, advanced sports technology, the seven fundamentals of mental fitness. So we spent a lot of times going through these fundamentals on vision, driving performance, open your eyes, open your mind, self talk comfort zones, goal setting, all of these things. And it was really through that work that I just kept asking, why? Why does this matter? Or what is it that really makes this resonate with players? And I started looking at, okay, well, what's that formula? What's that secret sauce, if you will? And so I started throwing things in there. And honestly, passion was the last one I threw in there. Um, and I, got, I had the talent and I understood, okay, well, talent, but talent's not going to be good enough if you don't work hard. And working hard is great, but you need the attitude and things are not always going to go the way you want them to. So there's going to need mental toughness and we don't have to do this alone. So you have have teamwork. And I was like, but it just didn't feel complete. And what really drove me back is getting that passion because when you and now I need to define passion a little bit because we tend to have the wrong definition of passion. A lot of times we think of passion like heat of the moment probably none of your listeners, but you know, maybe people driving down the freeway and somebody cuts off into their lane and they go from like, cool, relaxed, listening to music to really passionate. They start working with on their sign language, all of those things, (laughs) or, you know, I'll use it with the sports world. Um, You know, maybe parents on the sidelines or, or maybe a coach gets really passionate about the officiating because, The umpire or the referee clearly forgot their glasses at home. They have no idea what they're doing, and they get really passionate about it. But that's not really what we're talking about in this formula. Passion is your ability to sustain effort over a long period of time. It's why, Eric, you still play the game. despite all of your setbacks and all the doors that were closed, everything that's – because you have a passion for the game, right? To me, that passion drives us with all those other – elements of the championship mindset formula
0: that makes sense makes total sense so what is your so what's your background to go into this because i think a lot of people like i would say a lot of people i saw on your website that you have a degree in psychology is that correct so a lot of people think that they know psychology because they give their friends advice like the whole pop psychology thing But what actually is going on psychologically, like in these, in this formula that you're talking about and and in these different things, like what is actually going on? Because a lot of people can feel it, but they can't really describe it. And so you've made a a living out of describing it. So what actually goes on in that?
1: Well, I'll start by talking a little bit about my background. I've got this crazy, convoluted background that, um, you know, I wish I would tell you that years ago when I was in high school and I had this desire to work with high level athletes on the mental side of sports and leadership and culture, things like that, that it just was, I set the goal and I went straight there. That didn't happen. And rarely does that happen in our lives. When you think about things, we all have setbacks and hurdles and all these you know speed bumps that we go through. And my was, my journey was no different. Um, I went to uh, a small school. I played soccer here at Cal Lutheran university in, in uh, Southern California And as I got done with my degree in psychology, I wanted to continue on with my education and and really kind of in this sports psychology. At, At the time, the sports psychology field was really kind of an emerging field, and most of them were in the physical education department or the kinesiology department. It was not really where they belonged. I wanted more of the psychology approach to it. Well, I found a small school down here in San Diego called University of Humanistic Studies. It was a program that offered you a two-year master's program with uh, your marriage and family um, counseling, but it had an emphasis in sports psychology. There was a sports psychologist from Brazil that was here, so it fit exactly what I was looking for. My wife and I got married, and we moved down to San Diego, knew nobody. We had one car, no jobs, nothing, and I started going to this school, and a year and a half into the two-year program, the school went out of business, and I was like, okay, now what am I going to do? And during the time that we are here, we met some people. He was in, uh, in sales in the mortgage industry and started a career for 10 plus years in the mortgage industry. And it was during that time in the mortgage industry, I met a guy named Jim Madrid, who is the founder and CEO of advanced sports technology. And he and I hit it off right away. And I said, we, we need to do this for sports. We need to do this for athletes and teams. Well, as, the journey would continue. The mortgage industry completely went out of business and and I, you know two companies I went for, worked for went out of business. I shifted gears, went into a whole different career in sales. But during that time, it got me connected back to coaching. I started coaching my daughters and I spent ten years coaching competitive soccer down here in San Diego. And as things kind of wound down, I got reconnected with Jim. And he came back to me and said, we're doing this mental skills training for athletes. It's called AST, and I want you to be part of it. So I started working with teams, and I started training coaches and players and teams on the mental side of sports, and I uh, did that for the last, like, six years. And then about a year and a half ago, I got connected to John Gordon and the John Gordon companies. Uh, just so much of his stuff was resonating. I found myself quoting and sharing more and more of his you know quotes and books. Uh, I became a certified trainer for the Power of Positive Leadership, and now I'm honored to be a member of the John Gordon speaking team. So I'm working with coaches and businesses and schools on the Power of Positive Leadership and really working with people on culture. So all these little starts and stops has really created this where I'm at right now with my own company out there working on the mental skills, but also working on culture and leadership. And it's interesting, Eric, you talk about the setbacks and the challenges. I could have given up a long time ago. I mean, this is, this is 25 years in the making to get to where I am today. You know, I love that, you know, there's no such thing as an overnight success. But the interesting thing is every one of those setbacks, every one of those failures has set me up to where I am today. If it wasn't for those failures and setbacks and those changes in course, I wouldn't have the skill set that I have now to really take advantage of what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. It's, I feel like we have similar sort of paths albeit to different destinations. And yours is longer than mine obviously, but um yeah, uh, sales as well is one of those kind of psychological jobs really where it's you're really good at it if you make the right relationships because you got salespeople that people don't trust because they don't seem genuine. So they don't want to buy something from them. Um, and sometimes those people are really successful because they got a lot, like get a lot of quick sales, like one times, but then for somebody like you, I feel like you would have a lot of consistent customers based on how you are, like the relationships you make with people. And so you've kind of almost been in, in this psychological mode without I don't know if you realize it or not, but you've been in the psychological mode for the entire time you've been on the journey. So it's almost, it almost is kind of a fitting, not ending, but it's fitting where you are.
1: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I remember when I was in the mortgage industry, some people would ask me, well, you got your degree in psychology. You don't even use that because so many people get a degree and then they don't go into that field or profession.
0: Yeah, me. (laughs) It's,
1: it's, It's one of the reasons I chose one of my best friends had a you know, biomed major, he, you know, doesn't use it at all. But that's one of the reasons I chose psychology, because I use my psychology every day. And, you know, you have to be careful, because two of the terms that people don't like, are you know, psychology and salespeople. So, you know, no one wants to be sold anything, right? That's, that's reality. And people don't want to be, you know, and that's one of the challenges, I think, in the world, I'm certainly not a sports psychologist, but a lot of teams that we work with, They have sports psychologists on staff, especially given the last couple of years and what we've gone through. Yeah, But most of the athletes, they don't want to, they don't want to talk to them because they, they view it as something about what's wrong with them instead of, I prefer the term mental skills and the work that we do in that arena because it resonates better with players. Because when you think, when you use psychology, it's, Okay, we're going to diagnose what's wrong. Here's the treatment program, all of those things. Instead, when we use mental skills or mental toughness or mental fitness, all of these ones, players kind of understand that, especially when we use the word skills. We understand the importance of technical and tactical skills. All we're doing is bringing this other element in that says, hey, the mental, how you prepare is just as important as what you do when you are warmed up and when you're playing.
0: Yeah, that's weird because it's almost like you have to sell them on that idea <laughs> that they don't want to be sold on. But I, well, I do – go ahead. It's,
1: yeah, it's interesting because you mentioned that. So one of my favorite things to do when I work with teams is I just ask them a simple question. What percentage of the game that you play is mental? So, Eric, you're a soccer player. What percentage of the, of the game of soccer would you say is mental or football?
0: Probably three quarters, maybe. Okay,
1: so 70%, 70, yeah. 75%. So every time we ask this question, it doesn't matter, Eric, if we're talking about hockey or soccer or football or baseball. It doesn't matter. Pretty much on the low end, we get 60%. On the high end, we get 90% plus. So then it's really easy for me because then the next question I ask them is, okay, if we all agree that it's at least 60% of your sport is mental, how much time do you spend on the mental part of the game?
0: Most people probably say like zero. Zero. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: And that, that in opens up the door. So it's not about selling them. It's like, Hey, here's what we offer. Here, you just told me why it's important. Here's how we can help you.
0: Yeah. I guess I meant selling from the standpoint of the sports like like is different from the sports psychologist that they have on on staff um but so when you talk about the psychology of an athlete like what what goes into because there's there's a psychology of somebody that is just like existing on a, a day-to-day basis but then there's like the athletic side where they have teammates that they're with every day for six months or eight months or however long the season is. And there's coaching and you have to make all these pieces fit together and you have to build, like you were talking about earlier, like the culture, what, what is going on psychologically there? Because like my fiance has, is getting her master's in uh, IO psych. So I've been in like, I hear about psychology a lot. And so it's very interesting to me, especially from an athletic side. Like I, I don't actually know what is going on. It seems like, cause People in pop culture, sports psychologists is like, oh, you got to get rid of the yips. Like you can't throw to first base or like whatever that silly thing is. And that's not what it is. I mean, some of it, I guess, would be that. But what is actually going on in that when you go in in there and you're like, okay, psychologically, we've got to create a culture. We've got to help do this or that. Like what is going on?
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean – one of the things that I try to do is, you know, certainly because I'm not a sports psychologist, I, I don't use the word psychology very much at mm-hmm. all, just because it's kind of a big word. It, uh, it's a little scary in some ways. I yeah. try to put it in terms that says the same thing, but maybe just in a different way. So let me give you an example. Um, one of the things that I talk about a lot is excellence in a competitive world. That's one of my taglines, right? That I want to help players. I want to help people achieve excellence in a competitive world, whether that's in sports, in business, in life, whatever that might be. And so how do I do that? We, talk about, we talked about the championship mindset formula, but really what we're looking at is high-performance thinking. So let me give you an idea. that The logo that I have is a triangle. Okay, and it's the CM in a triangle. And there's a reason behind that is because I believe when we talk about high performance thinking, it really comes down to the what you want to accomplish, right? The vision that you have, if you will, the actions and the behaviors. So if we look at the triangle, the what you want to accomplish would be on the top. The lower right would be the what, the actions and the behaviors that you need in order to make that vision a reality. And then the lower left-hand corner is the purpose, the why you want that goal or that vision in the first place. And what we find is that when one of those three or two of those three isn't in place, it breaks down and it breaks down pretty quickly because you can have an amazing vision, but if you don't have actions and behavior to support that vision, you're not going to get anywhere. And if you don't have the purpose behind why you set that vision or goal in the first place, The minute things start to get hard and difficult, and they will, you're going to give up. You're going to let go of that vision because it doesn't have enough value or purpose to you. So really it's these three things. And when we put it in terms of that, now we start talking about the individual player. And So what does the individual player want to accomplish? How are they going to get there, and why do they want to accomplish it? But that's just one element of it. Now we got to talk about how we're going to take – you know, 25 players on a base on a professional baseball team, you know, whatever it might be on other teams, how are we going to get them all pulling in the same direction when they have different agendas? So that building into that culture and setting the team or the cultures, what, how, and why?
0: That makes sense. How difficult is it to pull a group of players into one like? my like until one like okay we want to win i feel like winning winning can paper over a lot of cracks in a bad situation but how difficult is it to like because you can like if, if you're winning everything's fine but people want individual glory or this or that when you are coaching a team like how when you go through that, like process in your head of like, okay, we got to pull all these people together. Like what kind of things do you look at in terms of like, okay, you got this player who's got this mindset. You got that player who wants all the individual glory. You got this player who's coachable, but they don't really help. Like they're not maybe a leader. Like how difficult is that?
1: Well, it starts with being intentional with it, right? Your culture, you're going to have a culture. Right. Your team, your program is going to have a culture. Now you can either, you know, work to create that culture, to define it, to bring people in to help that help the players create and own that culture. Or you can just let it happen and you're going to get stuck with whatever culture you get. And it may work or it may not. So it really starts with this idea, this championship mindset says, I need a championship mindset, not just in the X's and O's, but in a championship mindset of how I connect with my players, how I build the culture. And I think that's where, wh- when I look at coaching right now, uh, I think the two areas, and this is why I'm so passionate or purposeful in what I do, you know, coaches by nature, they, they love the sport. They're very passionate about the sport. Um, most of them or a lot of them want to give back to a sport that's given them so much. Um, and they love the intricacies. They love the game playing, the X's and O's, the tactical, the technical, all those part of it. Where the two areas that coaches miss a lot of times is one on the leadership part of it. So much about being a great coach has nothing to do with your sport. It has everything to do with how you connect with people, how you motivate them, how you challenge them, how you love them, all of those things. And the other area is the idea of mental skills. Like just a lot of coaches don't have that in their knowledge base. They they understand the importance, but they may not know how. They, they know it's important. They know they need to. So what we get a lot of times is, you know, focus on the present, um, keep your head up, you know, next play. And those are all great things, but that's just surface level. There's so much more that we can get down into behind that. So it starts with being intentional and understanding you're going to have a culture and now what is the culture you want and how do you define that? And you can't, you can't expect your players to hold that standard if you haven't given them the standard and shown them ways to make that standard. And I think that really is where it all starts right there.
0: Yeah. I have two thoughts that come off that. The first is um, I just want to get them both out there so, so we can talk about both of them. But the first is, like you said, things like, oh, keep your head up or next play and that those are surface level. And then the other one is that, and we talked about this, previously is that a lot of this information seems to be readily available if you go look for it but people don't often still don't seem to like have a grasp on it so i want to touch on the first one first because i feel like it might be quicker and then get to the second one so when you say like those those sorts of phrases are surface level because like in a game right for example if somebody makes a mistake and i'll yell across the field like next play like there's not really time to go any deeper than that but what what exactly do you like what do you mean by like, one, I understand what you mean by their surface, but, like, what goes beneath the surface into that? Like, what like what sort of things are you talking about there?
1: Yeah, so if all you're doing is yelling across the field to them, next play or, you know, that type of thing, it's not really going to be effective, right? But if you've spent time in the classroom, you spent time in training developing a program around that, let me give you an example. We talk a lot in uh, advanced sports technology about a mental reset. Okay, so we're intentional in doing this. A mental reset really is this idea of a physical cue along with a verbal cue. So some of the teams that we might work with, especially at like the younger ages, this one's a great one. You might take Taylor Swift's song, Shake It Off. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: if they make a mistake on the field, they say to themselves, shake it off, and they do this on the field as a physical cue. Okay, you spent time intentionally talking about the importance of how we let go of our mistakes and how we stay in the moment that we're in and why that matters. And here's what's really important about that and why we do a physical cue. Because the soccer field, the, the pitch is a big field. And so if you have someone that's on the opposite side, you, here's an example. you Let's say you have your right back, makes a 40-yard run forward down the line, makes a great run, gets on the end of it hits across right to your center forward, and they just sail the ball over the net, right? Now, there are a lot of things that have to happen well in order to get us that chance, and then we missed it, we blew it. Well, if you've set this up with your team, and you see that player who just sailed the ball over go like this and, and saying shake it off to themselves, well, maybe you coach a little differently in that situation. Maybe that player who just made that 40-yard run has to recover back now, and two minutes later, the same opportunity presents itself. Well, if you knew your forward had shook it off and was mentally back in the moment they're in, you're much more likely to make that same run again, get on the same end of that ball to make the same cross because you know your player's locked in, and this time they're going to put it away. Much more effective than just yelling across the field, shake it off right so yeah. it's building the intentionality around it that connects the culture one of the most powerful things that you can say to a teammate when they make a mistake is that's not like you okay it, let me give you another example right now if you're listening or arrogant you know, as well don't think about a banana what are you thinking about
0: banana of A banana
1: of course right Our brains do not work well with the words don't and not. That's why if you have kids and you tell your kids don't forget, they tend to forget, right? So the idea is when you say that's not like you, you're actually priming the other person's brain to go, well, if that's not like me, sailing the ball over the crossbar, what is? So you're helping them create a replacement picture of what it is that is like them. Same thing happens in reverse when they do make a great play. Let's say we're in a, you know, in a basketball game and the player comes down first minute of the game and hits a great three-point shot. We want to say that's just like you because we need them to do that more times throughout the game, not just in the first minute of the game. So being intentional about how we're sharing that with our players helps put them in the right mindset.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. The second example, especially, I've seen people like friends that I like go to their basketball games and they sink the first couple, and you're like, "He's a shooter." And then from they kind of like get in a rhythm after that, like that sort of thing. The first example um, with the right back making the run—that's an outdoor. That's what I do. So it's—I've never—I've never been. Just because somebody missed, I've never said to myself, I'm not going to make the run. I'm more likely to not make the run if, like, a teammate in midfield, like, if I know I'm not going to get cover or something like that. Yep. So that's an interesting example for me because, like, mentally for me, I would still make the run because I want him to score the next time. So I'm I'm even more inclined to make the run, meant for me personally.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you're right, and, and the culture, once again, has a lot to do with that. I also think that how he responds. So we're talking about the positive response.
0: But yeah. how often
1: do we see the negative response where, you know, they're hitting their head and all of those things and, you know, they're mad at somebody else or whatever it might be. So there's a lot of dynamics at play for sure um, yeah. in that example, but the the most important part of that is developing a routine that allows them to get back to the present to let go of the mistakes. And really When we talk about a mistake ritual, or you know, having a mental reset, however you—I don't like the word mistake. That's why I said mental reset because what is a mistake? I mean, it's but it's it's about getting them in the moment. But we needed to do mentally tough. When we talk about mental toughness, we always tend to think about mental toughness as just when things don't go well, when things are when we're not playing well, or there's making mistakes. We need to get back on track. I believe it's just as important to have a mental reset when things are going well. So let's say, let's use the soccer example in reverse. Let's say you make a great run down, you make the ball, the person puts it away perfectly. Now they're thinking about how great they are and, and there can be motivation behind that, obviously. But if they're focused and living on the, in the past about making that goal, well, how are they helping the team now in this moment? Are they still celebrating? Are they still looking over at the bench, checking out their significant other, all that thing? The game's gone on. We're moving on from that moment. Great that you made that play. Great that you scored the goal. Can you do it again?
0: Yeah. So why teams are so vulnerable after scoring. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so weird. All the different interactions and like how it all works. Like It's fascinating. You could go down a rabbit hole and just think about stuff for days. Um, we don't have days of course, but the other thing that, that I wanted to touch on was all this information that you, that you're touching on. seems like there's lots of people on YouTube or or social media that are kind of like in the positive mindset, positive self-talk, like all these sorts of like, if you just type in like positive self-talk, like a gazillion things will pop up. So it seems like the information is re- readily available and even some of the ones that aren't necessarily backed by like solid research or like psych- like like a psychology degree like you have are still generally I would say good, like they have the right idea. But yet we still see like a lack of that like I feel like given the amount of information is out there like you shouldn't have a job. Obviously you should because you're very good at what you do but like you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so let me –
1: I'll give you two examples that will hopefully – when I was coaching soccer, I used to tell my players all the time that the game is simple, but it's not easy.
0: Right? Mm.
1: Same thing with what you're talking about. Yes, it's very, very simple, the things that we're talking about. It's not, to use the term rocket science or whatever, it's very simple, but it's not easy, and the reason it's not easy is because life is hard. Life is really, really difficult, really challenging. Look at what we've gone through the last two years. So yes, it's using these simple concepts, if you will, but putting them into this championship mindset and really making it a daily habit, a daily practice, because it's without that, it just falls away because life is difficult. It's really, really challenging. And and so I think that we need to do a better job of, you know, helping define that and understand that we're not always going to get it right, but it's looking at the bigger picture over time.
0: Yeah. And off off the back of that, the last two years have been very difficult. You see often, um, especially with student athletes at college, you and know, another suicide here and like, and it's very heartbreaking for me to see that because I'm not in it anymore but I know people who played for colleges that were very stressed all, like almost all of the time. And I don't, I don't really know. There's not really, there's not really a question in here other than what are your thoughts? Because like, like, what can we do to help, help these people? Because it seems there's almost this like, this like hustle culture. Like you gotta be perfect at everything you're doing and you gotta be working all the time, but like, that's not sustainable, obviously. And so what, like, I don't know. uh, There's not really a question baked in there, I guess, except for like, what are your thoughts on it? Because for me, it's really hard to see like almost like way too often. It's like, there's another, there's another one. It's like, it's horrible.
1: Yeah, it it is heartbreaking and it's been a tough two years um, for sure. And, and, you know, one of the thing I think that's coming good out of what we've gone through the last couple of years in COVID is this c- conversation about mental health is much more present, right? People were suffering before COVID. People were really suffering with, you know, depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation, all of those things. COVID is just mm, put it more up there. It, it's exasperated. It's, it's bigger, it's stronger, it's all of those things. And when we look at COVID as we're coming out of it now, one of the biggest challenges is We just want to – we hear, I want to get back to normal, right? That's not possible. You don't go through what we've gone through the last two years and then just get back to normal. And the real challenge is as we get back to familiar, some more of the familiar things, does that conversation go away? Because COVID will be with us for a while, but the the shadow, the mental health shadow that COVID cast will be with us for a lot longer, And how will we treat those people? How will we handle those conversations? Because that's really where the rubber meets the road. How are we going to support those people who went through a couple of two years and then kind of got forgotten as everyone else got back to normal or got back to familiar and moved on. And I think that's the biggest challenge as we look at where we're at right now. Um, And the other part of that is when I look and, and don't get me wrong, I, I make fun of social media a lot. Um, I use it. Right. I think that social media has a great, I call it, you know, fake book and snap crap and Insta sham. Right. Um, I love that. You know, and, and when I do that with a lot of, with my teams and with the players, just because it's, it's humorous and it's, you know, it's a little bit funny and, but we need to see, are we using social media as a tool or are we letting that tool use us? And there's a really, I think it's a, One of the biggest challenges with social media right now is this comparison game. And I often tell people that we have to get away from the comparison game because I believe when we compare ourselves to others, one of two things happens and they're both negative, they're both bad. And this is what we see on social media. It's, you know, how many likes does a person have? Uh, you You know, yeah, they took the picture, but they took that picture, you know, or they recorded that video 15 times before they got it perfect. And then they put on whatever filters they needed to do to get that perfect. And it was all of this to gain attraction, gain likes, you know, popularity, all of these things. And then when we see that out there, we then compare our lives that are imperfect to other people's perceived perfection. And we don't measure up. So when we compare ourselves to others, one of two things happens and they're both negative. So let's take sports, for example. You know, on your – Uh, in, in, we'll use soccer for an example. If you look at your players on your team, and let's say you have players on the team that you're just better than, right? You're just more gifted, whatever that might be, and you're a better player. Well, then you have to deal with pride. And pride is one of the things that stops you from improving. Because now working on and continuing to improve to be the best version of yourself, you're just glad that you're better than so-and-so, and you stop living into your full potential. The second area is, let's say on the same team, you look at someone and they're just bigger, stronger, faster. They're just better. Well, now you deal with envy. And now instead of looking at the gifts and the talents that you were given, you're focused outward on someone else's talents and gifts. Well, the game is a complex game. It takes a lot of talents. It takes a lot of different people for there to be success. So when we compare outwardly against others, we run the danger of dealing with pride and with envy. And they both stop us from realizing our full potential. So if we do need to compare, we need to compare ourselves to ourselves. Are we better today than we were yesterday? Are we better tomorrow than we were today? See, that's that championship mindset that I'm talking about. Because when you look at the formula, nowhere on the formula does it say anything about the number of minutes you play, goals, assists, championships. None of that's on there. Or even if you get to play. And it's because I believe that everyone can have a championship mindset regardless of their role on the team. And so to me, that's really where it starts, Eric, the idea that we got to get away from the comparison. We have to own our journey. Our own, everyone's on our own path. I'll, I'll give you a, i know I'm going a little long here, but I'll give you a great story. 2016 Summer Olympics uh, in – I think they were in Rio. Um, yeah. Uh, men's 400-meter runner named Wade Van Niekerk. Okay, most of your listeners probably haven't heard of this guy, right? He's from South Africa. He's drawn lane eight in the men's 400-meter final, okay? Now, what do you know about lane eight?
0: It's the worst one.
1: Nobody ever wins from lane eight, right? Right. You're out there running blind all by yourself. You, You start way out on the stagger, and you're just like a carrot for everyone else in the race. Well, he developed a strategy. He knew he would be, quote, running blind. So he developed a game plan and he stuck to it and he won the race from lane eight. Here's the, why I share that story with your listeners is because he ran the entire race for a gold medal. Having never seen another competitor in the race, there was nobody else. They never caught him. He started out on lane eight. He ran his race. He stayed in his lane and he won. And not only did he win, he broke a world record that was set by Michael Johnson in 1999, right? one of the longest-standing track records. And the reality is I think that if he'd been running in lane four or five, he probably doesn't break the world record because all he was interested in was staying in his lane, running his race, and doing the best that he could do. And I think there's so much value for this because when you run your lane, run your race, and you stay in your lane, and you're not comparing yourself to others then your success is not defined by, tied to, or determined by anybody else's success on their journey. Everyone's on different paths. We need to own our journey, and we need to really just live into our full potential.
0: Yeah, I think that's the more fleshed-out version of the what I said on, at the beginning of the one we recorded on yours, which is be confident in the work that you've put in, um, and that's the, that goes with the comparison thing. It's like, yeah, somebody might be stronger or faster, but I know that I've put in the work and I have faith in like myself that I've put in the work. And I think that that runner, um, that's like, I do you use that example a lot. I would, I would assume you do. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's so powerful. And yeah. then I
1: actually have a video clip of the race. And it's just it's so powerful, yeah, it's so powerful. It's a great reminder because he is in his own lane. He mm-hmm. is running his own race, um, and nobody else was in that race. And they yeah. never caught him. They never even visually, they never got even close enough to where they could see him.
0: Yeah. When you were describing it, I got I got like chills. Like I could feel the power of of that example. It's really cool. And then the other thing that you said that I said like I said it on the last podcast or the one that will be out. Well, will be out already by the time this is out. But it's it's to improve on yourself day by day, and it's like the the one thing I say is even if it's like one percent better, it's still better. It's something to aim at that's only reliant on you, because everything else in the world can change so quickly. So it's like you got to rely on yourself as the barometer for that. And
1: well, I and I, I think that's so powerful because when you think about when we talk about athletics, right. Think about how little percent of the time you play your sport do you actually play in a game. So much time spent on the you know the preparation, the practicing, the, the culture, the bus rides, the travel, all of those things, a very small percent is actually in the game. So if we're going to talk about the bottom part of the championship mindset into everything that we do, you're exactly right. We have to work on and find – define – do a better job of defining success in other ways that aren't directly tied to the scoreboard. The score, no, don't get me wrong, the scoreboard matters. You know, it, it never lies and it matters. But how are other ways that we're defining success on a daily basis, even simply as, you know, rest? How are you resting? How are you recovering? When you look at the elite athletes in the world, Michael Phelps. You look at—I mean—that guy sleeps more than pretty much anybody else. He also works harder than anybody else, but he is like a minimum of eight or nine hours of sleep a night when when he was training, and at least a, you know a two-hour, three-hour nap in the afternoon. So that's success, in addition to just what we see on the scoreboard.
0: Yeah, I think the, the, the other caveat to the comparison thing, like you're, is you need you need people around. There's like a, like a little bit of a dance that goes with you. You should compare with yourself, but also you need to be aware of the abilities of those around you as well, but not hold your hat on that, if that makes sense. So, because you can't, like, I can't go play with 10 year olds and be like, well, I'm just worried about myself. Like, that doesn't work. You have to like also be aware of those. And that's a difficult balance to kind of, because it's very easy to go into the pride and the envy and and the rest of it, like you mentioned before, but I think that balance is also important.
1: Yeah. And, and I'll give you an example. on One of my favorite stories when it comes to teamwork Um, and, and I don't know if this is directly answering the question, but I think there's a lot of value here because you have all these individuals that are trying to come together and we tend to think, coaches by nature kind of think that, hey, we're just going to put the most talented roster together and the collection of our strengths, how good we are, is going to determine our success on the season. And I don't think that's the case. And it's really more our ability to cover for each other's weaknesses that determine that. So a few years ago, I had an opportunity to present to some uh, uh, in a in a workshop for, for college, for basketball. And they had a lot of college athletes there. Um, and then are not athletes, but a lot of college coaches, they had high school coaches. It was just really promoting the women's game. Russ Davis over at Vanguard. Um, it's an amazing leader. He's been there a long time. And he brought two people to speak that uh, session. He brought myself in and he brought this other guy, Kobe Bryant, somebody I don't know who he was, but brought Kobe in to speak. Um, Honestly, I was just really glad that I got to speak before Kobe and not oh, after yeah. Kobe. Following him, yeah. If I, no one would listen. But you know, I was in there earlier in the day, and I was working with the coaches, and we were talking about culture and leadership and building. And we did a couple of exercises and activities with them. And then later in the day, Kobe comes in, and he was um, did some stuff about the triangle offense, just like next level, like crazy stuff. And then he just opened it up to questions and answers. And people were asking questions, and one of the questions, when Kobe answered, he used the word vulnerability. And that immediately struck my interest, and so I raised my hand, like, Kobe, you know, you talk about vulnerability. It's not a popular word in the world today. Talk about how important vulnerability is at the highest level. And I could tell I kind of caught him off guard because he's getting lots of X's and O's questions, and... He looks at me. He says, Chad, he goes, it's everything. He goes, it's everything. He goes, let me give you an example. He said years ago I was playing for the Lakers and we had a young guard on the team, Trevor Ariza. And Trevor was a rookie in the year in the, in the league. And he was really, really aggressive. He goes, and we're playing in a game and Trevor's at the top of the key and I'm watching and I can see Trevor's getting ready to dive in and go for a steal again. So sure enough, he dives in for the steal Uh, the guard, I forget who it was, goes around the back, down the lane, slam dunk. Kobe says, the next day, we're in film study, and this play comes up, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, here we go again, Phil Jackson's just going to jump all over Trevor because he does this all the time. When is he going to learn? And the play happens, and Phil turns to Kobe and says, what are you doing? Kobe's like, Why are you getting on me? That's not even my player. Phil says, Kobe, you know what he's going to do. You see that he's going to dive in even before he does it. Why aren't you stepping in the lane and covering for him here? Why are you hanging him out to dry? And to me, that's that idea of culture and that team. And what Kobe was sharing in that story is that the collection of our strengths, we can have a lot of great players, but if those great players don't play with each other, they don't play for each other, they don't cover for each other, then we're not, we're going to have holes. We're going to be exposed. And the higher you go in sports, the more that those little openings become giant gaps. It's that shared vulnerability that really drives teams and players forward. And I think it's just so powerful that we connect. Uh, And that's why I love that story. I mean, it just, it's a great way to illustrate the power of connection within
0: the team. Yeah, absolutely. I know. I feel like that's a good place to stop. I know you got to get out of here. Um, I do have one more small tidbit. After we talked the first time, I went back and watched the Belgium-USA highlights um, because I didn't remember the exact nature of the miss. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a tough chance for sure. But I'm sure for those wondering what we're talking about, it's the Chris Wondolowski miss um Chad has a podcast with him as well I'm sure they go into it um but yeah I feel like this conversation could last for forever honestly but I really appreciate having you on um where can the people find you on your socials and website and stuff
1: yeah great and, and thank you so much for Eric for having me on and yes we have a, a podcast with Wando great story his journey is amazing um, he's someone I've known for a very long time he played uh, college soccer with my brother and I've got to see his career and follow him along the ways and one of the coolest things is he's the same person today as he was when I met him back in college. Uh, he's had tremendous success, and we talk about a championship mindset. When I look at his journey, he, yes, he misses that shot, and he used it to fuel him and to, to push him forward. Um, all-time leading scorer in MLS history, MVP of the league. When we talk about owning your journey, that's a guy that walks away. He retired at the end of last year knowing that he got every ounce of his ability, right? He may not have been the best player. He definitely wasn't the fastest or the most technical or the most skilled, but he got every ounce of what he was given in life. And he should walk away satisfied. I know he does because he gave everything he had to the game. The game has been great to him. But that's really why I try to highlight stories like that in my podcast, because it's your journey. It's my journey. It's Wando's journey. It's the Bethany Bowsers of the world. Uh, NWSL player who just played her first game and for the national team. They went to Spring Arbor, an NAIA school. I love highlighting athletes and stories like that because, you know, I think it just resonates with the normal person a little bit more. And they, you know, we can root for those people, but we can also see ourselves in those people. Um, and I think there's power in that. So, yeah, thank you for, for mentioning that. Uh, some of the best ways to connect with me, my website, championshipmindset.net has all the resources there. So if you want resources on the mental fitness training, the power of positive leadership, my book, uh, The Rock Tumblr, it's on there as well. Um, all of those tabs are there. The book is uh, therocktumblr.com. And you can also find that at uh, anywhere you find books online, whether that's uh, Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And then as far as social media goes, uh, Instagram and Facebook are at Championship Mindset LLC. And Twitter is at Champ underscore Mindset.
0: Awesome. Everybody listening, go find him there. Links will be down in the description below. With that, we'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.